Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 388 with Aaron Levy. Aaron has the provocative assertion that most managers suck, and there's some data to support it. So we'll learn how to not do that. You'll learn one, why most managers suck, two, how and why to listen better, and three, examples of powerful questions. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F388. Now, here is Aaron's story. Aaron is the founder and CEO of Raise the Bar, a firm focused on helping companies address the problem of millennial turnover. Aaron is an ICF Associate Certified Coach, a Thrive Global Contributor, an 1871 mentor, the co-director of Startup Grind Chicago, and a member of the Forbes Coaches Council. He has educated, coached, and consulted over 5,500 business leaders, helping them to define goals, create action plans, and achieve sustained success. Aaron is on a mission to transform the manager role by empowering each manager with the tools, skills, and training to be leaders of people who unlock the potential of their teams. So big thanks to Aaron for taking the time to chat and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Aaron. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. How you doing, Pete? Oh, doing well, doing well. I think the first thing we need to cover right away is your morning habit of listening to Disney music. What's the backstory here? I have just always been a fan of uh, Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, the Disney classics. And for some reason, it puts me in a really good and happy mood. So my wife can attest, I will take the iPad around the house as I'm blasting some some Disney music, or lately it's also been Queen. Anything that has a good high energy that just uh, is fun to listen to in the morning. Mm -hmm. And are there some particular Disney tracks that are at the very top of your list? You're getting particular here. There is. There's um, The Lion Sleeps Tonight, which is one of those where it's like the soundtrack of of, uh, Lion King a little bit. And that's, uh, that's a fun one in the morning. Mm -hmm. particularly the high-pitched pieces (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i would i would uh sing or hum the tune for you but i'm pretty tone deaf so i don't think anybody listening would really understand what what i'm talking about well so let's let's hear now about your company raise the bar what's your story here so how far back do i'm gonna go do i'm gonna give you a little bit of the background of it and why we started it or just just the the high level i'd like to know your current problem that you're tackling and how you do it yeah so so that goes back just a, a slight bit, and it goes with the idea and the curiosity I've had around why, when people know better, don't they do better? Why is there this gap between knowledge and action? It's something I've always been fascinated by. It's the same reason why you know, only 8% of people ever, 
accomplish the New Year's resolutions. It's not because they don't know what to do. It's because that they don't actually do it. And so that was something that I've spent the early part of my career studying the science of, of why do people do what they do, of how do they move efficiently and effectively from knowledge to action, and why do some people do that and other people not? And so as I started to see that throughout my career and as I started to, to play out and look at the research and say, how does it work in real life? How do people actually move from knowledge to action? I had the good fortune of working with thousands upon thousands of leaders in our first organization. And in doing that, what I got to see is what really works and what doesn't. And more importantly, I, I uncovered what filled me up, which is helping people unlock their potential. So Pete, the reason I'm giving you kind of this longer-winded uh, thought process is because what I started to see around me when I got clear on my purpose in life, which was to help people unlock their potential, was a bunch of my friends not doing that, a bunch of people around the world not doing that. And I saw that in terms of people jumping from job to job to job. It didn't really matter how much money they were making, if they were at a really cool, fast-growing startup, if they were in San Francisco or Chicago, or if they were working with their best friends, they were either planning to leave their company or already leaving their company. And what that told me and what I saw there was two things. One was you know, this group of individuals who are not satisfied, who are not fulfilled, who are not tapping into their full potential. And organizations who want their employees to be at their best, right? If, if your employees at their best, you're succeeding. It's good for you as an organization. And so I saw this two-sided problem. And what I started to realize is what's the one biggest factor or point of leverage within any organization to impact the engagement and potential and growth of an individual employee? And that's the manager position. And unfortunately, most managers suck. And the reason most managers suck is because we promote them because we're, they're good at what they do, but not because they're good at leading people. And those are two very different skill sets. And so what we do at Raise the Bar is that it doesn't have to be the case. We help empower managers to be better leaders of people by giving them the tools and skills and training. Well, so, so that's, a, that's a bold statement. Most managers suck. And yeah, I guess depending on how you are assessing, measuring that, I think it's it's defensible with the, the data and the research. <laughs> let's let's hear a little bit about that research in terms of that uh, that's the missing link and and the the driver behind uh, attrition. And the great managers are are the key to getting great retention. Can you share some of the research behind that? Yeah, well, I would say the first thing there's there's studies by Gallup that talk about how one in every ten managers actually have the tools, skills, and training to lead people and their soft skills, their skills like listening, asking powerful questions, holding critical conversations. We think like leadership is innate, someone you either has it or doesn't. Do you think someone learning how to model on Excel is innate? <laughs> Do we think someone learning how to financially project or forecast is innate? No, it's a skill. Now it's a hard skill. And so that's one of the things that we talk about. We train on soft skills. So that is kind of when we first think about the defensibleness of that statement that I made of most managers suck. Again, it's not their fault. They just don't have or aren't given the skills. I think Harvard Business Review talks has this report where 69% of managers are actually uncomfortable communicating with their employees. Yeah, I saw that. And that just, it just still blows my mind. I read the whole thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, right? You, I mean, we could dive, these are just stats, but we could dive so much deeper into it. You know, the the three primary drivers, when I did a lot of my initial research on what's really going on here, why are specifically the millennial population, which is the largest population of workforce, they're over 
you know, 50% of the workforce now in the next 10 years, they're going to be close to 60 or 70% of the workforce. We started to say, what's the driver for this generation? What are the drivers that keep them in the workplace? And what I started to hear in every leave story, because I, I started to gather the leave stories from people. Right? Why are you leaving? Why did you leave? Why are you planning to leave? And it was one of three or all of three factors, which is one, I want purpose or impact in the work I'm doing. And it doesn't mean I want to be doing humanitarian work across the globe. It means I want to know that the work I'm doing actually makes a difference toward this organization's larger goals. I right? just want to know that I'm making some sort of a difference. The second one is I want to feel connected to my team, to my company, to my boss. Both of those have ties into the research and science of Richard Ryan and Ed Detsy and their theory on self-determination theory. Right, In, in that, there's the need for relatedness, connection to people around you. And then the third thing that, that people are looking for, and millennials specifically, is, is growth. I want to feel like my company cares deeply about my growth and development. And if you just look at it from a logical perspective, who has the biggest influence uh, on your individual growth within the organization? Who has the biggest influence on your level of connection to your team, to your company, to your boss? It's your boss. That's the person that holds your growth and can be your coach. That's the person that is direct, usually, and every organization is a little bit different, but I would say most of the time, is directly responsible for your growth and development plans, for your performance reviews for all of the things that are involved around your growth, your connection to the company, and showing you how your work makes an impact. Okay, I'm sold. So then in terms of, of how to not suck, you've mentioned four essential habits to be better leaders, uh, the motivate, the evaluate, the communicate, and the serve. Can you orient us a little bit to how to become up with these four and and how do we do them better? Yeah, and so there's there's nothing crazy special about these four. And what I call these four, these, I call these actually the traits or the outcomes that great leaders produce, right? A great leader, if you look, you can look at all the leadership books that are out there, all the thousands of books. And you could, what we, that's, it's kind of what we did. And we looked at the, the science and the studies and we whittled down into like, what are, what are the traits of a great leader? What makes a leader great? And you say, well, they're, they're, ability to motivate people, right? They can really motivate people. They're masters at evaluating people, situations, environments. They can determine who to plug in, where, what to do, who's on the right project, who's on the right team, what's going on. They communicate directly and they realize that in order to lead, you actually have to serve others. Leadership is an act of service. And so those are great outcomes. Those are great traits of leaders. But you don't go into work on Monday. You don't go say, I'm going to go motivate today. It's not action that you do. And so yeah. what, we, what we've done is we've said, okay, if those are the powerful traits of leaders where most people focus their energy and attention, what we're going to focus our energy and attention is what actions done over and over again lead to motivation? And how can we focus our energy on the actions that happen every day, that you produce every day, that will lead to somebody feeling motivated? And that's the, the act of listening with intention, attention. To ask powerful questions, you actually, for, to, to, evaluate, you first need to ask powerful questions. To communicate directly, you actually need to set up the foundation for psychological safety and give clarity so that direct communication can occur. To serve, you actually need to hold critical conversations. And so what we focus on at Raise the Bar is what are the actions applied over and over again that become habits, which will enable you to lead powerfully in any situation environment. Whereas most people focus on, okay, let's motivate and let's talk about the processes and the and the toolkits that you could use to motivate, as opposed to what are the skills? What's the underlying 
skill that helps people feel motivated. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about those underlying skills for getting people to feel motivated. You mentioned that listening with intention and attention. How's that done? I love the point you brought up about it not being an innate skill. And I'm thinking about you know my little one-year-old at home here and, and thinking about other... You, you might It might be a skill you just expect people to have by the time they get to you. But that's not the same as it being innate. Much like I might expect them to be able to do algebra, you know, to hey, solve, be able to set up a solve for X when we're trying to figure out, you know, how many calls we have to make or whatever to achieve a, a sales outcome. Uh, but it's not innate. You know, they had to learn it somewhere. And I, I think a lot of us uh, have not learned, you know, this listening that motivates skill. So, so how is it done and how do we learn it? Yeah, I'll try and be as quick as possible because this is done over like a whole month module that we do. Here's a couple of things that I love that you said out of that. One is we assume it's an innate skill, but it's not like algebra, right? In algebra, you've practiced and you've had someone look over your shoulder and give you tips on what didn't work and what worked. And you've gone home and you've done homework and you've messed up and you've taken tests on it. When was the last time you took a test on listening? When was the last time you've had a conversation recorded and analyzed by a peer or a coach or a teacher? For most people in the world, the answer is never. For a very few, you know, where negotiation is a part of their job and they have to, where coaching is a part of their job, or I'm a certified coach. So I had to do that. I sucked at listening too, and I'm still not great. I'm getting better at it, hopefully, because I'm practicing it on a daily basis. But most of us think we're good listeners. It's the same thing as if you ask a room of 100 people, how many of you think you're a good driver and everybody raises their hand? Not everybody in the room is a good driver. Right? If you ask the people, How many of you think you're a good listener? Most people will raise their hand. But when you ask them, when was the last time you've practiced the skill of listening? When you've had it assessed? When you've really dove into the the science of listening? Most people haven't. And the first thing that we have people do, or one of the first things that we have people do once they get this awareness that, okay, maybe I have some area to grow here, is we have them look for what we call their listening blind spot. And what I mean by a blind spot is it is a habitual thought or behavior pattern, something that your brain has been doing over and over again, thousands upon thousands of times. And it is what your normal natural tendency is when you show up in a conversation. So for example, my listening blind spot is I'm listening to make a connection. So anytime I'm talking to somebody, I'm trying to say, oh yeah, you're from Michigan too. I have my sister from Michigan here and I'm trying to make connections to everything. And that was really great for me in my career to connect me with people and endear me to others. But that also holds me back from being a powerful listener. Others, plenty of my clients have, I'm listening to find out if I should be paying attention. I'm listening to solve the problem. I'm listening to figure out the next step that I have to do. I'm listening to see if this person needs help. Right? We're all listening for some reason. And that is your blind spot. And until you're aware of it, you can't do anything about it. So we often tell people to really get clear on what your blind spot is. Because that blind spot is something that's going to hold you back until you're aware that you do it. And change, and and this is where we focus on the science of behavior change, change doesn't happen unless you're aware. And so what we first do is build awareness around how do you typically listen so that you can notice it and in future situations, look at it from afar and say, oh, okay, that's, I'm doing it. Crap, I'm doing it again. Okay, well, I noticed I did it. Now let me do something else. And so then if, I think some listeners would be like, well, well, what else is there? 
if, uh, listening for a connection, you know, when you need to make a connection and, and listening to solve a problem when we're, when we're solving problems. So what would be the ideal if these are our blind spots and not the optimum? Yeah, so it's a, that's a great question. And we think, okay, that's moving us forward. But what you'll see is you're not actually with the other person in the conversation. Rarely are you actually sitting and listening with attention to what the other person's saying. And with simply the intention of having them feel heard or of supporting them. And so instead of trying to problem solve when you're with somebody, instead of trying to listen to solve something, oftentimes I come home and my wife will tell me something and the first thing I'll do is try and solve it. And that's not what she wants. She just wants to be heard. She just wants to know that I'm here and listening to her. And so that's that's some training that I've given myself over the years is, is actually just sitting there without any need to move forward and just being. Oh, that, that's that's a nice. I like that has some emotional resonance to it. There's there's no need to move forward and to just be. And so then, how do they get the memo that you that they've been heard that that you really understand, you know, where they're coming from and and why whatever it is is matters to them or or what they're worried about or excited about. How does that get conveyed? When was the last time you had a really powerful conversation with a friend or family member? Oh, we'll say Christmas Eve. Wow, that's that's close. Good. Did you feel heard? Yes. It's as simple as that. You notice when you've felt heard. There doesn't need to be a signpost. There doesn't need to be anything else. When someone feels heard, one, they'll they'll share more. They'll they'll open up more. They'll give you more. Even in a work setting, when you don't fill the quiet space with your talk and you actually let someone fulfill, fully answer a question. What happens is they get to get their thoughts out because as human beings, we think at one to 3000 words per minute and we listen at one to 300. And so listening is inherently difficult. No kidding. Yeah. The other interesting thing is we think at one to 3000 words per minute and we speak at about one to 200 words per minute. So the process of getting something out of your brain and then out of your mouth to sound the way you want it to sound doesn't work well for all of us, which is why we need some more time to get it out. Which is why we need to give people the opportunity to share their thoughts and ideas. And you'll see they feel more engaged. They feel more heard. For the salespeople that are listening to this, if you ever just shut up and listen in a sales conversation, oftentimes they'll say, that was a great conversation. You'll say, I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. Yeah, that's what happens. Is People feel like they've had a really good conversation because they finally had a chance to feel heard. So, so it's interesting. You're saying it's not about doing the uh-huh, I see. Oh, is, is that about like chiming in with those little I'm listening thingies so much as they just pick up on it when it happens? Yeah. And here's, and here's the other thing is we do an activity and I, it's hard to, to take us through it right here. But we do an activity that helps people trigger a way to be and a way to show up with intention and with attention, right? We like kind of trigger that individuals. And what happened I would say 95% of the time with the leaders that we work with is we don't tell them the, the, the verbal cues to give. We don't tell them to talk or to not talk as a listener. We don't tell them how to sit. And yet, as I walk around the room, once we've triggered this to a T, almost every single person that's listening is facing the other person, is looking at the other person in the eyes or looking at their face. They might even be talking a little bit as a means to continue the conversation but not as a means to fulfill their agenda. 
they're there with the other person's agenda in mind. And so what really happens is those cues can show you things, but don't just follow those cues as markers. Actually show up and be there with the intention of hearing the other person, of being with the other person, of, you know, for me, what I talk about is if my purpose in life is to unlock people's potential, then the intention that I said is, hey, I'm here to, to unlock somebody else's potential. And that might mean shutting up and letting someone speak. That might mean interjecting, but that means fully being here and being focused and not thinking about what's going on around me, not thinking about the next conversation I have. I put all distractions away. I put my phone on silent, right? I'm just there with the other person. Well, Aaron, I'm afraid I, I cannot let you off the hook. Let's take a crack at, to the extent it's possible in this medium, what's this exercise? Okay. The first and most important thing of this exercise is getting really clear on what is your, what we call your commitment to the world. That is a much bigger question than most people want to answer in a podcast, in a workshop, anywhere in life, because I think it's this big, hairy, scary thing. But the truth is that each of us have a purpose. Each of us are connected to it, whether we know it or not. It's not something we have to go out and find. It's actually something we have in here. There's this great quote by Seneca that says, you can have all the wind in your sails, but if you have no harbor to sail to, then you're going nowhere. And so what we focus on very early on is getting really clear on, hey, what is your commitment to bring to others, to bring to the world? And for somebody, it might be to bring the truth. For somebody else, it might be to show others what integrity looks like. For, uh, for me, it's to help unlock your potential. And when you get that, when you actually connect with that, what happens is you, you feel like you have this much stronger connection and dial into who you are and why you're here. And what you'll find and what you can look for and how to find that is to think about what are some of the most proud moments of your life? What are some of the most significant experiences? What are some of the things that piss you off the most? <laughs> or even what was a conversation where you felt you were really at your best with somebody else? And oftentimes those all tie back to a couple common themes. It might tie back to sharing love with others. It might tie back to bringing honesty to the world. It might tie back to speaking up for people who can't speak up for themselves. But it's usually something subtle and simple. And when, you, when it resonates with you, for those of you who are listening, if you're just thinking about it, I know it's not an easy task to just listen to a podcast and come up with your commitment. And when you do, or when you come onto something, it's like there's a resonance in your whole body. And when that happens, that's what we actually then, before a listening conversation, we trigger. So we practice connecting with the neural pathways that say, this is my commitment. And we build signs along those neural pathways so that you can more easily trigger that before a conversation with somebody else. You say build signs, what's that mean? So we'll go a little bit into the science of human behavior. So when we talk about building a new habit in your brain, it's creating a neural connection. But what it really looks like is going into a 10 foot high field of grass and walking through the grass and paving a path and not paving a path with a, you know, with a road crew and construction crew, but paving a path by walking down that grass and matting it down. But it's not going to happen if you do it just once. You have to do it hundreds of thousands of times. And the more you walk down it, the more easily findable that path is. And instead of just walking down the path and matting it, what we do is we put signs and we say, you're going in the right direction or nope, you lo you've lost your way, you turn. And we put signs and markers along the way. So you're able to identify, hey, am I taking the right action or the right path to know if I'm going in the right direction? 
And so we do that with people by saying, hey, this is what it feels like to be connected to your commitment. This is what it feels like in your chest, in your body, or this is a word that, that you can connect to it, right? And so what we're doing is putting three words, unlock your potential. Those are, that's a sign for me to connect to what I do and why I'm here. Mm-hmm. Did that give you some explanation? I know we're kind of getting deep into, you know, we don't all, I don't always, uh, on conversations like this, dive this deep into the science of behavior change and, and commitment and purpose. Oh, Aaron, you know just what to say to make a podcaster smile. Uh, (laughs) Well, good. Well, I appreciate it. It's good. So we're we're talking about, all right, so you connect to your purpose and uh, you take some deep reflection and then maybe a little bit of time to to arrive, but it's inside. And so you land at, hey, well, it's really meaningful to you and what really upsets you. And and so you're there. And then I'm hearing you want to get to that place, connect to that sort of state of residence, like, ooh, yeah, I'm jazzed. Uh, about my purpose. And so you want to get there just before a listening session. Correct. And the thing is, is this is practice. So you want to get there before a conversation where you know you're going to want to show up and listen, right? Whether it's a one-on-one, you have an employee, a conversation you're going to sit down and have with your partner, anything where you know, right? Because there's plenty of other situations where you're listening, but you're not prepared for it. You're not thinking about it. And what we're not trying to do here is we're not trying to say, be a better listener in every single situation ever once you've practiced, once, right? Just do it better everywhere. We understand that you don't learn how to ride a bike by just riding it once and you perfect it. You fall a bunch. And so what we try and do is say, let's set yourself up for success by having a couple conversations a week, maybe one or two where you know, hey, I wanna show up kind of in this state and I wanna remove all distractions and I wanna know what the purpose of this conversation is. So I wanna know the agenda or the, the the desired outcome of the conversation from my perspective and the other's perspective. And that way it kind of removes all of those distractions of where are we going, of what do I have to do next? And you're able to show up with that person. And you do that a couple of times really well and you start to get those signs and you say, oh, this is what somebody else says or this is how they show up or this is how a conversation can go when I'm really listening. Let me put those signs up. And the more signs you put up, the more you take the path, the easier it is to go back to it. So that eventually, the more you practice, it becomes habitual and you're just doing it as opposed to having to think about doing it. But again, what we start with is the couple of actions that done over and over and over again will lead to habit. Well, I guess what I, what I find interesting is like, let's say your purpose is to, you know, give, give voice to the voiceless, or, for example. And so, you know, that gets you fired up. You're like, yes, you know, this is, this is the thing. And so, I mean, that's a... Uh, that's a great way to feel and, and great way to be, but that is is also helpful in a context of of listening. I, I don't know if is can you connect the dots for me here? Yeah, yeah. So oftentimes people will say when I when I when we talk about this and we think about it because right now we're thinking about it, we're not being with this idea, right? We're we're thinking about how does this apply, and so oftentimes the leader will say to me, "Well, if I want to bring the voice to the voiceless." then oftentimes what I'll do is I'll be speaking for them or I'll be taking what's going on with them and trying to share it right away or trying to dig into it as much as I can. And I say, yeah, that's what you think will happen. But I promise you, go back to that state, go to that state of being the voice for the voiceless. And what happens when you show up in that state with any person, whether it's the voiceless or somebody who has a voice, you will show up differently. It's it's, uh, hard to explain. It's kind of magical. But when you step into that space, what ends up happening is it empowers you to really be with somebody else. And so when I show up wanting to unlock someone's potential or, or understanding that, I'm just there with them. I'm engrossed with 
attention and intention towards who they are. Yeah, I think the connection may be, speculating here, that your purpose, this has come up a number of times, we talk about purpose, it's always one way or another to help people. There's, There's a service fit to the purpose. Like, like no one's purpose is ever, I am going to become a mega billionaire. You know, that, like, that, that's not really like a resonant purpose. It might, um, it might be fun and, and exciting, but I guess the purpose things are, are service oriented. And so when you're listening, like in large part, the game in terms of the being side of things is that it's not about you. You know, you're, you're taking yourself out of it and you're, you're being of service to another person. So in a way that's kind of, if I think it through this, that could be sort of like your, your linkage there. It's like, I, I'm getting into a resonant serving mode and that is a state that is highly conducive to listening. Pete, if this was a game show, I'd be like dinging the bells. You got it. (laughs) You're spot on right there. No, that's exactly right. And what, what you'll have is what, people often get caught up on is, well, my purpose is to, to bring in more money, to make money, to generate wealth. And we have this all the time. And yet the challenge is, is the question that I often ask people is when you have all the money that you want, what will that give you? Yeah, that's good. Right. And, and someone says, so I can provide, so I can, so I can serve somebody else. Right. But then it, then it goes to the real core. Yeah, I got you. So, so that's cool. So, all right. So you get in that state, and, and it seems like, is that, that's the whole ball of wax there when it comes to listening? Well, you, you get there and then you, and then you just shut up and, and, and put your attention there on the other person. Yeah. So here's the, here's the interesting thing is a lot of the, the work that we do is quite simple, but it's not easy to do, right? We can, we can boil it down into understand your blind spot, what, what holds you back from listening, get really clear on what triggers you to listen well, remove distractions and show up and do it. But it's not so easy to do because behavior change is not an easy thing. And that's where we focus on deliberate practice, which is the focus that we don't often spend enough in some of these soft skills. It's not just doing it once, but doing it once with, you know, kind of like training wheels on and and your parents next to you, and then taking the training wheels off and riding your bike and falling and scraping your knee. And what happens is when people try these skills in the real world and they fall and they scrape their knee is to say, that didn't work. I'm never going to do it again. Or that felt uncomfortable. I'm never going to do it again. And what we encourage and what we design in our work with leaders is that's not a, an option, right? They actually have to go out and apply it in real life after applying it in our workshops. And then in real life, they, they figure out what doesn't work, what does work. And then they get on a call with their coach and their coach will diagnose and work with them to understand what worked and what didn't. And so often Leaders say, wow, this blew up my face. This is really bad. Well, great. You're supposed to fail because you're going to learn from that. But the second thing is when, when we diagnose in a coaching session, they realize that out of the 10 elements that they had or out of the, out of the conversation, only 30% wasn't really that good. 70% they got was amazing. Was They learned something new about somebody else. They learned something new about a team member. They learned that a team member was planning to leave, and this is why they're planning to leave. And it's not a great outcome, but it's better than not knowing. And the 30% of, of, of what didn't work was either the setup, was their patience in it, was the closeout, right? And so we work with them to understand and to diagnose and to debrief and to really reflect on what worked and what didn't work, because that's where learning happens. It's what we call the learn, apply, reflect. You have to learn the skill, then you have to apply the skill, then you have to reflect. And you do that over again, and that's deliberate practice. And the comes to listening, is there any part of 
paraphrasing, summarizing, is that uh, in the mix? Not necessarily, no. Okay. It can be, depending on the conversation, it can be what I heard you say, Pete, is, but it's not necessarily part of it because every conversation is a little bit different. And so we don't set people up for just a specific type of conversation. We say, show up and listen to any conversation. And you show up this way, sometimes there doesn't need to be a paraphrase. Sometimes you don't need to say a word and someone just needs to be heard. Sometimes you do need to paraphrase. You need to recap after a one-on-one or after a performance and say, hey, what I heard you say is this. These are the action steps we're going to take. Sure. But that's not necessarily the action every time after listening. All right. That's good. Well, that was fun. We talked a lot about listening. So <laughs> I guess we can't cover all four after all, but uh, that's, well, that's, we'll have to have you back. So, all right, let's talk about uh, asking powerful questions. How is this done? I'll try to be quick with it. If you want to dig deeper, I'm happy to dive into it fully. Asking powerful questions is really the key to exploring, right? To evaluating situations. So it's done by understanding one, we have biases as human beings. If you look at the research by Daniel Kahneman, Amos Tversky, kind of, if, if anyone's ever heard of the book Moneyball, that idea, that concept of Moneyball, of the way our brain can lie to us when we look at a baseball player just because we look at their sexy stats versus the stats that really are impactful, is those are called biases and heuristics. And our brain has tons of these biases to make life easier for us. So we don't have to think, we're kind of, we, we kind of take shortcuts as a brain. So we have to think through everything we do in a day, but those shortcuts hold us back. Those shortcuts confirm what we think we already know about a, a person, a situation, an event. And so this is, by the way, my hardest skill to work on because I like to move quickly. And in moving quickly, I assume. And when I assume, I confirm what I thought I knew, but I'm not right necessarily. And so I used to get myself, especially earlier in my career, in a lot of trouble doing that. I'd make a lot of mistakes along the way because I'd assume something and I'd move fast. And it doesn't mean you can't move fast. It means you need to check your biases. And so the blind spot here, each of these skills has a blind spot. The blind spot here is your confirmation bias, is confirming what you already think to know based on the information at hand versus challenging your beliefs and exploring if there's other information to be learned. And the the trigger to actually start to ask powerful questions is looking at a three-year-old kid. And a three-year-old kid is someone who is constantly curious. They have this genuine desire to explore, to learn more. And so they say, what is that about? How does that work? Why are we doing this? How does this work? And in doing that, what they're doing is they're exploring. They're exploring the world and they're and unknowingly asking powerful questions. And so the, the, the trigger to asking powerful questions is to let go of your assumption that you know the answers and be curious and ask yourself, what don't I know here? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. And yeah. could you get, lay on some more favorite go-to questions for us? Yeah. So here's the thing, Pete. I won't because when I went through my training and I said, I, I want to learn how to ask powerful questions. Just give me the list. I'll do it. I was great at, I like, give me a, a checklist. I'll follow them. I'll ask those questions in my coaching sessions. I'll ask those questions with clients. Great. I'll be done. Everybody wants a list. Unfortunately, powerful questions, there is no list of them. There is no pure, this is a powerful question or it's not, because powerful questions have to happen in the moment and they have to happen in context. And so you might have a a question and then you ask it at the wrong time or the wrong person or in the wrong context and it's not powerful at all. What I will tell people is, which are really good tips for you is, although why questions might seem to be very powerful, 
why has a just a natural response to people that can make them defensive or make them think too far into the question. And so instead of asking why, ask what or how. So instead of why does this matter to you, what about this matters to you? What makes this so important? And so <laughs> it takes an extra second to change a why question to a what question, but the why will throw somebody off a little bit. And I encourage you to use a what or a how. And don't use a a yes or no question. Did you like this? Did you have fun? Was this meaningful for you? Likely not powerful questions, not guaranteed, but likely not powerful questions. Uh, fair enough. So I, I won't uh, press for the, the list, but maybe if you could <laughs> regale us with uh, a couple examples of, of questions that you have asked multiple times or been asked multiple times that seem to do the trick. Yeah, here's a couple. What's the impact if nothing changes? What would that look like to you? What's so important about this? Those can be powerful questions. Not guaranteed, but they're simple, they're clear, they're concise, they're open-ended. And the thing that, that I can't tell you which they are, they aren't, this is kind of a checklist for, for powerful questions, simple, clear, concise, open-ended, is I don't know if they're in the moment, I don't know if they're in context. Okay, well, that's helpful, thank you. Well, so could you maybe what's give us the... What's driving you to ask a po- to, to get this list of powerful questions? What's that? What's, what's driving, driving me? you to get this list of powerful <laughs> questions? Oh, my, my purpose to develop and disseminate knowledge that transforms the experience of being alive. There you go. Okay. Ooh, fired up. Ready to listen. <laughs> <laughs> Although that's a lot of words. We're talking about simple. So let's hear maybe... When it comes to the communicate and the serve pieces, yeah, communicate directly, holding critical conversations, do you have a sort of a, a, a quick sort of a do's and don'ts that you might share within these ballparks? Yeah, I'll give, a, I'll give quick for communicate directly. There are tips for communicating directly, which, which are important, but not nearly as important as laying the foundation for direct communication to, to occur. And what that is, is that's creating psychological safety. Psychological safety is this feeling of, I can say something without feeling like I'm, or make a mistake or speak up without feeling like I'm going to be made fun of or ridiculed. When Google's project Aristotle looked at what makes high-performing teams, and they looked at, okay, let's put all, let's look at teams that are the best team members. Um, let's look at teams that have the best individual. What they found was it had nothing to do with the individuals themselves. It had to do with the team, and it had to do with psychological safety. Right? Do people feel psychologically safe to speak up, to say something, to challenge ideas? And do they have clarity about what they're going after and how they're working with each other? And what are the expectations of this team? And so the two things we talk about are, are how to build those. And the first way to do that is to create a set of team agreements. And, and really, that's just as a leader of a team, it's getting really clear on what are your expectations of how other people on this team should show up and work with you. And if they're not clear to everybody on the team, they should be clear and they should be communicated and people should align on them and connect with them and be able to resonate with them. And so that's what we talk about for direct communication. It's really creating the foundation for direct communication to occur. All right. And how about on the serving, holding those critical conversations? Yeah, it's putting together all those other pieces really well. It's listening. It's asking powerful questions. It's having the direct communication conversations set up beforehand, because sometimes it's just giving feedback. But if something's really critical, that means that there is, there's an impact of not having the conversation. And so it's understanding that that feedback is a gift. And by not giving someone feedback, you're holding them back. You're not serving them. So in order to serve them, you might have to tell them that 
they're not doing well, or that assessment didn't work, or they're not the right fit for the team. Right? Things that you feel people won't be able to necessarily recover from. And the truth is, human beings are creative, resourceful, and whole. And they are able to. And if you hold them to this higher standard, then they live up to it. And so when we see them as needing fixing or being broken, we don't see that feedback is a gift. When we see them as whole, we can actually start to give feedback and it can be a gift. And whether they see it as a gift now or in 10 years from now, that is some of the most important things that you could do. And so we talk about that as a leader is having that conversation. Now we, we have a, a two-part process for doing it, uh, for stepping away from the critical nature of the conversation and reflecting on what's actually happening. But the most important idea and concept from that is feedback is a gift. And there's a quote that I love is, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important. All right. Well, I was just going to ask for some favorite things, including a favorite quote. Sounds like you got us going there. So now could you share a favorite study, a piece of research that you found helpful? Man, that's, there's a lot. So I'm reading the book Give and Take right now uh, by Adam Grant. And in it, there is a study about the importance of giving people energy and attention, whether or not you think they are high potentials. And so it's a study that they did with students and they told certain teachers that, hey, these students are rock stars. They have, um, you know, they've done really well in all these pre-tests. And so they are, I don't know the word they use, they're all stars. And they said, these students aren't. And they tracked where the students and how the students grew and how they performed over the year. And the people who were identified as all stars performed 50% better than the others. But what happened was, they're, they weren't actually all-stars in any shape of, of way you define it. They had just defined them that way for the teachers. And what, what the study started to show was that the people who inherently then give them more energy and attention because they think they have the potential to achieve into it. And what I took from that is, as leaders, if we see the potential in each of our employees, whether we think one is a high potential or the other is not, if we see them all as high potentials, what we do is we elevate all of their games to a certain level to a new level that we that we didn't know was possible. And so instead of holding them back by giving them less resources, less energy, less support, we naturally do it. We don't even realize we're doing it. If we hold everyone to the higher standard, what we're doing is we're giving them a chance. And we're giving ourselves a chance to better equip ourselves and our team. Mm-hmm. I don't and know the name favorite... of the study, sorry. Oh, no problem. But it is ringing a bell. And how about a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job? Meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something I've struggled with figuring out how do I find 10 minutes in my day to just do nothing? And yet it is one of the more powerful, impactful uh, tools. It trains your brain to slow down. It trains you to be. And when you're trained to be, you can listen much better because you're just being with somebody else. And so um, if anybody asked me, what's the one thing you should focus on doing? I would say it's meditation. You look at the most successful people in the world and lists of them and look at their habits. To a T, everyone does some sort of, not everyone, but a lot of them do uh, some element of mindfulness or meditation in their lives. Okay. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with your clients? Well, the first one is that feedback is a gift. I've already shared that. And I'm going to stand with that one because that one takes a while for people to resonate with. And someone might hear it now and then think about it two years from now. Uh, But it's really remembering that it is a gift, that the only way people can improve, the only way people can get better 
is if they know what's working and what's not working. It's like the analogy that I use is if you uh, shoot a basketball in the dark, one, basketball would be no fun, and two, you'd never get better because you don't know where the ball goes, you don't know what happens, but as soon as you turn the light on, you can get some visual cues, you can get feedback in the moment live on what's working what's not working. And as a, as a contributor to your team, as a leader of your team, as a friend, if you're not giving that feedback, what you're doing is you're turning the lights off on your employee, your coworker, your friend, your family member, and saying, figure it out in the dark. And it, it's really this idea that giving that feedback is a gift for that person. It's turning a light on. Whether they enjoy it in the moment or not, um, you can give it with tact and grace, but don't withhold it. Okay. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? Yeah, I would point them to raisebar.co, R-A-I-S-E-B-A-R.co. And it's where we actually host our boot camp. So all the stuff that we've talked about are through two full day workshops in a boot camp that we lead leaders through. Awesome. Do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah. If you are pessimistic or a naysayer about this idea of getting clear on your commitment or everybody having a commitment, sit on it. Think about it. Explore it. Look at what fills you up. You might just find your commitment. All right. Aaron, this has been a whole lot of fun. I wish you and Raise the Bar tons of luck and success and keep up the good work. Ah, Thanks so much, Pete. It was a blast talking to you. I got such a kick out of that simple approach of connecting to your purpose and getting to a place in which you're present and serving and how that just naturally leads to great listening activities, behaviors, and you're in the right state, your right zone because you are being of service there. So, so helpful. I have noticed that has boosted my listening effectiveness and the other person feeling understood substantially. And it just takes a few seconds before you engage in the conversation. So great stuff from Aaron. Hope you dug that and all the more. If you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links, that's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F388. And I hope you'll push subscribe if you haven't already. Up next, we're hearing from Beth Kennedy, who is unpacking how did you become more resilient? Hope to catch you there and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.